This is my journey, inspired one story at a time. A library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created to listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I am your host, Steve Anderson, and today our guest is Robert Glazer. Robert Glazer is the founder and chairman of the board of global partners marketing agency, Acceleration Partners. A serial entrepreneur, award-winning executive, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Bob has a passion for helping individuals and organizations build their capacity and elevate their performance. Under Bob's leadership, Acceleration Partners has become a recognized global leader in the affiliate and partnership marketing industry, establishing best-in-industry processes for client acquisition, retention, culture, and service. Bob's writing reaches millions of people around the globe each year who resonate with his topics, which range from performance marketing and entrepreneurship to change to company culture, capacity building, and leadership. Worldwide, he is also a sought-after keynote speaker by companies and organizations on subjects related to business growth, culture, building capacity, and performance. Outside of work, Bob can likely be found skiing, cycling, reading, traveling, spending quality time with his family, or overseeing some sort of home renovation project. Robert is also the host of Elevate Podcast, a top 1% podcast globally with over 1 million downloads. He's a regular contributor to several major publications, including Harvard Business Review, Business Insider, Fast Company, and Forbes. He's named on Glassdoor's list of the top CEOs of small and medium companies in the U.S. twice, ranking as high as number two in 2018. This was just a great conversation today with um, Robert, or as I call him to, to begin with, uh, Bob Glazer. He's uh, uh, very inspirational, has done uh, great things building a company that has grown so fast, and all the, all the challenges that come with uh, fast-growing companies, that's what he specializes in. He works hard to develop um, his, his teammates. He's got some, uh, some great uh, leadership development ideas and structure and uh, has really done well. He's also uh, been an author of seven different books that have all sold really well. So he's a pretty impressive um, uh, person in the leadership uh, world. So uh, let's sit back and enjoy our discussion today with Bob Glazer. Bob, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a little background uh, for context here. Uh, just kind of tell us a little bit about your journey and and um, where you grew up, where you went to school, and, and kind of where you're at now, just to give us a little background. Sure, yeah. I grew up in uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I would say I had a, maybe a typical background for someone with uh, entrepreneurial inclinations in that I was not super successful in school in my early years and kind of told to sit down and color in the lines and stop making noise and... <laughs> Didn't, 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 didn't really, uh, you know, so, so a lot of the things that I was really good at maybe weren't rewarded by, um, that, that system, um, 
did well enough. Uh, um, uh, went to college at University of Pennsylvania, which I'm a little embarrassed to say this week. Um, but hopefully, hopefully that'll improve. Um, focused on business and, and industrial psychology and was inherently interested in kind of fast growing organizations and teams. Uh, had some very unsuccessful stints uh, working for other people. Um, also did some work in strategy consulting, um, uh, venture capital uh, and, and operating and decided I really liked early stage companies. I liked being around them, but I kind of wanted to do my own thing. And so I started a company that kind of worked on helping those sort of companies grow. And we developed into one of the largest uh, kind of big fish in a small pond, one of the largest um, uh, affiliate and partner marketing agencies globally. So that company is Acceleration Partners and we have uh, almost 300 employees now across 10 different countries. You know, it's interesting since we're going to talk a lot about leadership today, and it just made me think when when you were in companies that you weren't as successful as you wanted to be, um, you know, perhaps due to your um, uh, personality and, and the way you wanted to do things, did you learn things from that end of, of uh, leadership to, to better lead people as you became the uh, the leader of the company? Yeah, so it's interesting. I talked this about this in the leadership training that I lead for uh, our organization. But I think when you first start leading, you have two kind of basis of things that you can do. Things that you really hated and vowed that you'd <laughs> never repeat. It's not that different to our childhoods. And then things that you really liked and that other leaders uh, did. And the problem is for a lot of those people, um, it, 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 it is... Uh, it's not authentic, right? It's not who they are. It's like some best and worst practices of other people. And I think kind of the essence of becoming that level four or five leader of Jim Collins is kind of tearing that stuff down and saying, who do I am? What are my value? How do I lead authentically? How, do, how am I clear about my strengths and weaknesses and playing to my strengths and communicating that to my team? And I think well, companies have different leadership standards and things they want people to hold by. I don't think there's any single template of a leader. And so, so the best leaders I know, just super high degree of self-awareness, know what they're good at, know what they're not good at, tell their teams what they care about, what they value, and, and that's sort of how, 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 they, how they lead. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you're also a pretty prolific uh, author. You've written seven books, and uh, the most recent one is called Elevate, Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others. Um, so uh, I, I reviewed that book and, and read most of it. It was really good. I, I thought you I thought you had a lot of great points. What what audience are you trying to get to there, and and what do you want them to hear about that book? Yeah. So elevate, and then the sequel elevate your team. You know, uses this strategy of capacity building as a way to um, get better. Uh, I think it's the ultimate tool of how you get better, and it's these four independent pieces around uh, spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional capacity, which I think is the is the sort of framework if we look at the aspects of our lives and understanding kind of where we're doing well and performing at a high level and where we may be kind of knocked off. And so I, I walk through each of those as a way to really look at where you are and how you can improve. And, and right, the values and the core values things start from spiritual capacity. Again, who am I? What do I want? Like, what, what does success look like? Like, I got to be honest with that. Then I can move to intellectual capacity, which is how I learn, plan, execute with discipline, how I go after those things, how I improve my operating system. Physical uh, is, is my sort of mental and physical health. And again, if I'm really locked into what I want to do and how I want to do it, like that becomes more important because if I understand the cost 
of that to me. And then, and then the last is emotional capacity. So what are, what are my relationships? Are they enabling me towards what I want most in those goals? Are they hurting me? And how do I interact with other people and other things in the world? Right. It's a lot about, um, think about sort of a car. If you would test a car on a track, it could do really well. But then when you put that car 200 miles an hour with other cars, with a driver, it can dramatically overperform or, or, or other perform underperform yeah yeah and it, uh, you know in the in the book you talk a lot about these different um, uh, categories of, of capacity and uh, you know do your people do they do they get weird when you when you talk about you know spiritual and physical capacity uh, you know I don't think all businesses or, or all leaders you know uh, uh, get into that and would maybe be afraid to go into that yet I agree with you it's extremely important uh, you know to to know and understand those things. So how do you, how do people uh, relate to that or how do they, uh, does that resonate with them when you talk about those things? Yeah, I think one thing, they need to understand what it is. And and look, we, we've, we've taken people uh, offsite and work with them on figuring their own personal core values in this stuff. And they would say, well, why are we doing this? Shouldn't we talk about the company core values? And the answer is, look, I, we don't think you can be the best leaders that you can be until you figure this out, like until you understand who you are and what's driving you. And look, having had a lot of these uh, uh, um, conversations with people and honest, like a lot of this stuff for people is directly, uh, you know, from from formative childhood experiences that have formed their values and who's important to them and all of these things. And, and it's driving them, but they just don't know that it's driving them. So, um, you know, when you, when you actually open that up and we've had some things with people and we say, look, you actually, we just did, uh, we just did this, um, uh, you know, uh, with you. And, and it looks like you have a strong core value of trust. And I might say, look, I don't know what, um, uh, I don't know what happened, but was there some violation of trust in, in, in your life or in your child or otherwise? And the person will look a little ashen and might tear up and say, yes. And so when we actually look at what's happening to them as a leader, people on their team that show up a little late for something, that miss a deadline, that can't be found at four o'clock in the afternoon, like they are immediately like go out of the circle of trust. They are seen as someone that's threatening and dangerous, but they don't tell them that. <laughs> so when we, when we dig into like you got people on your team that are in the penalty box with a key thrown out, the problem is they don't know it. Um, and they don't know what they did wrong. What would it look like if you were to go back to your team and say, look, core value is a, a trust is a core value of mine. And I really, it's very important to me. I inherently trust, but here are the types of things on my team that, that would cause me to lose trust with you. And once it's lost, it's really hard to repair. Um, and if you sense that, I'm going to need you to come talk to me about it. Like that's a totally different world. Yeah. And you talk a lot about it. And as you just said, you know, you're building a culture of feedback, of, of telling people what they need to hear and so on, yet uh, so many people do avoid it. So uh, just tell us the value of feedback and, and, and how to do it best. Um, yeah, and and again, it's like self-awareness. Why, why, why are you doing this stuff, right? Like what, what, why is it so important? Do you realize, do you realize the reason that self-awareness is so important to you and that you get all your team of self-awareness is that um, and then when you talk about it, you had a parent that was inherently self-aware, uh, not self-aware and embarrassed you. And so you are overcompensating for this in your leader, in your leadership. And when you talk to somebody in the book, you also talk about uh, don't get stuck with the uh, compliment sandwich. 
So explain that a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think people do that a lot. Yeah. So, so the compliment sandwich, also known uh, as the shit sandwich, depending on where you're allowed to play this, <laughs> uh, is, is a very common form of feedback uh, where people have to deliver a difficult message and they want to make it less uncomfortable. So they start with a kind of warm and fuzzy open. Then they kind of slide in the thing that they're actually trying to to talk about. And then they kind of uh, close with a a warm and fuzzy uh, (laughs) close. And and in doing that, the people really have no um, understanding or miss, miss the message. Um, and it just doesn't do any good. And, and look, we model, we have an exercise where we model difficult conversations and it's like actually hard to watch people even do this when they're practicing because you give one person a script. We, we model a very like law and order ripped from the headline scene. So it's a 90 day check-in. The person is told they think they're doing great. Uh, and, and, and they, they, they want to talk about a promotion and the manager is told, you're pretty sure this person isn't going to make it (laughs) and you need to like do this. And so they go into a real conversation with each of these mindsets, which is very true. And then a group of 10 or 20 people watch this and inevitably they fall into the shit sandwich and it's super uncomfortable. And I've done this now 10 times with a hundred people. And I say, freeze. I turn to the group and I say, how many people think that the character Lizzie, on the left knows that her job is on the line after 10 minutes of this conversation and no one's ever raised their hand. And so we we give a lot. And and this is why you see these conversations where like, I told her this. And then, and then the other person's like, I never was told that. Um, And and this is why you see that these disasters happen. So we actually give feedback to the presenter and then they do it again. Inevitably when they do it the second time, they say, Hey Lizzie, we need to have a real serious conversation and then they tell what needs to be told without trying to put 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 lipstick on the pig. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. You know, and, and in these, uh, you know, I know that you do a lot of work with companies that that grow fast. I know your company has grown very fast, but you know, as these uh, companies uh, you know grow, there are sometimes people on the team that you like and and have served the company well, but just you know, as you say in the book, have a they they have a capacity to grow only so far. And, and they can't grow, you know, they hit a ceiling. They can't grow to that level that you really need them to be. You know, but they're good people, and, and you, you, you don't want to wanna do them right. So, uh, you know, how do you handle that issue when somebody just taps out um, and, and you need them to go further? Yeah, I think you just need to be, look, we should want to coach everyone to uh, reach their highest objectives. At the same time, we need to be that manager, that baseball manager. Like the player doesn't want to come out of the game, right? And, you know, there's a famous scene uh, that pained my part of my, I guess, adulthood, not childhood, of, of, of uh, game six against the Yankees where Pedro Martinez, the pitcher for the Red Sox, was just totally gassed. And he went, the manager went to get him, and the pitcher just shook him off and was like, I don't want to come out. And so he went back in and gave up a home run. They lost the game. He never coached again, right? So it's incumbent upon leaders to try to get people ready for that, but but, but make the call when the needs of the organization and the capacity of the individual don't line up. And usually that just means oftentimes that, that you need someone above their level. Like you may go from a marketing a marketing manager as the head of your marketing team. And then what you need is a marketing director who has a marketing manager. So um, 
I, I think those things are both true. We need to make those difficult decisions, but we just need to be objective. Does the person have the values? Do they have the aptitude? Do they have the capacity to do what we need them to do? Again, no matter how much miracle grow you put on a situation, you can't turn someone from a bookkeeper to a controller to a CFO in two years. But if your organization goes from a million to 50 million in those three years, and that's what you need, you're going to have to make some tough choices. Yeah, and do you think... Do you think anyone does okay that, that thinks they're going to be on the leadership team or continue to grow and then they hit that wall uh, and then you leave them in a position that, that they see others around them grow and, and they're okay? I mean, to, to me, that's probably um, a sign of disaster where it's, it's almost better to let them go and find somewhere else to be. Well, you know, people don't want to give up. They have a lot of pride. So sometimes it's hard for them to accept someone coming in above them, even if they could really benefit from that mentorship. Let's say I have that controller who's not ready to be a CFO, right? The discussion would kind of be around like, hey, like, we need a CFO and you need a mentor who can help coach you and help you become a CFO. And if it's not here, then it's somewhere else. And, uh, you know, we'll help you with that. Um, so I think that's, that's one, that's one, that's one path. Um, but, but sometimes also the person just needs to be honest with themselves. Like there is someone who really enjoys the one to $10 million organization and maybe they should go and, uh, do that again, um, rather than they don't want to be doing it in a $20 million. I know they don't, they don't want to give up, but they don't want to be doing it again. So I think some of the best people you've probably seen, I've seen just do, you know, they figure out their stage and they kind of keep coming back in the, in, in the bottom and um, moving, moving up to the, to, to the top of that range and then do it again. Yeah. You know, in, in uh, your Ted talk that you gave, um, you know, you, you, you told a story about, uh, somebody that was kind of an up-and-comer and, and was really aggressive and, and had some real potential and was a good employee. Everybody liked him, but um, you just didn't really have a position for him in the company at the time, or he wasn't ready for the position that you needed. And uh, you actually gave him away. You actually gave him to another company, and I thought that was a really interesting story. Would you be willing to tell that again? Yeah. So, look, just because people don't have, aren't the right fit for your organization or that time, right, doesn't mean um, they don't have value. Um, and uh, this was a situation where someone in our organization was struggling, wasn't doing well. We did the common thing of putting the person on a performance improvement plan and what happens in those plans. People temporarily, you know, the motivation of the loss of your job is usually good enough to cause, you know, improvement over 30 or 60 days. But if they're really systemic or fundamental things that are off about wanting that role or ability to do that role, they'll, they'll come back pretty quickly. So they came back pretty quickly and we're like, do we do this again? And they were like, why don't we just like think about this? Why don't we have an honest conversation? And, and we did. And the person's like, I just want to do something different. And you know what? We're in client services and they were managing an account and it's incredibly disruptive um to, to have that turnover so we said look why don't you continue to work manage it out you can start looking for a job and we've made some mistakes on this um but it ended up becoming the basis of what we called our mindful transition program which is now our uh career engagement program in which we like help people productively transfer out of the organization and have kind of a, a, a happy ending when um with the full understanding that like people aren't going to stay in our organizations forever. So we might as well help them and, and have a positive 
you know, alumni uh, focus out there. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, but it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, is that you're just helping people find their gift and where they can do it at. And if it's with somebody else, I can remember uh, arguing with some board members once of, you know, um, uh, you know, like like when someone would leave the organization, they would just took it as a personal assault. You know, like, oh my God, that guy. You know, we're never gonna. He's he's never gonna get hired again in this company, and he shouldn't have left. We've put all this time and energy into him. You know, and it was just a real negative um, leaving the company. Where, uh, you know, I looked at it as, you know, we did this guy really great. We helped him. We helped him grow, and he went somewhere else. And hallelujah for him and the company he's with. You know. Yes. Um, so yeah, look, it, people aren't going to stay forever. The narrative has, has totally changed. Um, and, uh, um, it, 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 we just need to acknowledge it. Like, and, and, and let's find ways like, look, it's a small world. It's a digital world. Like think about McKinsey's always done this really well. Like when you want to leave McKinsey, they help you and they find you a new job and you're a McKinsey alumni and guess where McKinsey gets most of its new work from. Like the McKinsey alumni working with, uh, with you know, uh, who are leading all these teams who rehire them. So when you have regular interactions with employees, whether it be a you know performance appraisal or just you know regular meetings, do you actually talk to them about this is what we see in you, this is what we have for you, uh, but also have that discussion about, but this may not be the place for you. Yeah, I think. Look, I think what uh, I've been less involved with this in the day to day as I haven't had a team in a, in a few years as I moved into the chairman role. Um, but I think that's what we tried to get people to do is to have that honest discussion. And and look, it should start with the data. Someone's either struggling, they're failing to meet the core values, they're failing to meet their objectives. And if you have the right data and dashboards, and someone's orange and red for two out of three things, two quarters, like inevitably it has to force some sort of discussion. And if that discussion is, do you want to try this? Do you want to get better? Is this not the right thing? Maybe you don't want to be in sales and you can open that door. Then you can, you know, uh, script a, a better ending. So describe for us, you know, I know that you have a very robust leadership development program and you described it earlier about these four key areas, but just help us uh, uh, visualize what, what it looks like in your company. So, you know, I'm a employee that comes in. I want to be on this leadership track. Uh, what does that look like? Do I um, attend courses? Do I uh, do I am I part of a group? Just tell us what the structure of that leadership. Yeah, I think is. it's a little bit of everything. So we have we have training and courses and stuff that's taught by outside facilitators. That's taught by some of our leaders who give their personal anecdotes and experiences. I think there's kind of cohort and forum that we put together where people can come together and ask questions. And then there's kind of on-the-job training and more of the managerial things and the tactics on how do you have a difficult conversation and what does feedback look like and how do you do that stuff. So, so it's all of those. And we try to begin the process before you're leading. Like, I think, you know, when you think about a, 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 a license, right, people get their permit, but, but then, you know, they have to drive a bunch before they get their license. Like, we make people leaders a lot of the time and then teach them how to drive afterwards, <laughs> Um, and teach them how to lead afterwards. Some of this stuff should start before they're actually in a position of leadership. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think so many people make that mistake. Um, and now, is it different too? Because I, I believe your company has over 300 employees now, and and, and they're all remote, right? So how do yeah, you? We've uh, always been all remote. So is is it look differently when you're dealing with a remote 
company uh, uh, versus uh, you know an office building where where people work in every day? Yeah, look, we've always designed our culture around that and our core values and the type of people. I don't think we have to say like, I don't think anyone would be successful in our environment. I think we figured out the right type of person that matches our, our work and our environment and all that stuff. So um, that's that that's that would work for us. It might not work for other organizations. Again, people who like empowerment, like making decisions, people who want to be in a group, want a group setting, want to bet things across everyone. Like, again, that might not be the right decision. I, I tend to think of companies or like universities. If you think of like, there could be an amazing university um, uh, uh, that is uh, a large inner city, you know, urban university. And there can be another university that's an amazing university, but it's a it's a small rural university. And those have really different value propositions and they probably fundamentally appeal to different people who are do, looking for different things. Another thing that I read in the book too is that you, um, y- your company promotes like 80% of your leaders from within. So obviously you believe in, in developing them and then, and then hiring within it if you can. Uh, again, I, I see a lot of companies think that they can um, hire the white knight to come in and you know, fill this position and, and, and change the company. Yeah. But you're a believer well, that, uh, that those that are yeah. already there are the ones. Look, there's every new person, there's two risks. There's a risk of, can they do the job and are they a fit for the culture? So inherently, when you promote people from within or the right people, you've hopefully mitigated one of <laughs> one of those risks. And knowing that their their attitude and their fit and and you know maybe there's some whether they're the right fit for for the role. So I think that's one big thing. But but look, let's look at sports and football. I mean, every year, every team lets go of a player that they see in practice every day and is there every day, and another team um, signs them for a ton more money. And if you look at any of the data, the vast majority of these free agent signings like are not good are not a positive result or they way overpaid. Um, and I just think it's funny that every year, everyone thinks that everyone's <laughs> everyone else is smarter and the grass is greener and otherwise. So I, I you know, the devil, you know, is, is always going to be a little bit better than the devil. You don't know. Yeah. There's so many examples of that, that, you know, you see a player that, you know, just had this amazing role on this team and, you know, and, and then he chases the money and, and uh, goes to another team and, and disappears. I yeah, mean, and maybe, like, maybe, maybe he was in, if she was in the right system for them, and that's why they produced, right? right and then right. they go to, look, the Patriots have nothing to stand on this year and obviously are not having a good year, but, like, they have an incredible track record of, of, of people not succeeding <laughs> when they leave and getting these ridiculous contracts and then coming back for like a tenth of the money a year later. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Describe what your dream program is. Um, yeah, so this is something kind of heard about years ago from uh, something called the Dream Manager, a book, kind of a fictitious book. But, you know, look, you can give someone a $500 bonus, a $1,000 bonus, $2,000 bonus. They'll never remember it a year later or or maybe 90 days later. Um, you know, talking to your employees, finding out what's important to them, um, figuring out things that, you know, in their life are really important, seeing how you can make that happen. So we, we've done this every year at our kind of all company event. And some of the things don't even cost um, any money, but we've, we've either directly or indirectly figured out things that people were trying to do, whether they were trying to 
run a triathlon or marathon for the first time or reconnect with a long lost uh, relative or have a grandparent meet a grandchild for the first time and either time or money or whatever just wasn't letting this happen. And we've kind of granted those, those wishes or dreams uh, to them. Um, and it's always like kind of was my favorite part of my job and kind of incredibly emotional. And again, some of these things life changing don't cost anything or that much money. I mean, one time we helped someone get on the board of an organization for a cause that uh, their, their child was um, affected with. Uh, and I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the, in, in the house that night. So, um, I, I just think these are the types of things people remember. They, they, they appreciate that management and leadership cared about them and wanted to, you know, invest in them. And, and it's just such a feel good thing to do. Um, and you can ask people explicitly, or you can kind of pay attention to the things, uh, implicitly, implicitly that they talk about. And, you know, I can tell that you obviously believe in building relationships and leadership is all about relationships. And I just imagine, you know, with a totally remote company, um, that that's harder to do. So how do you do that? I mean, you're not sitting around, um, you know, having a cup of coffee or walk into the kitchen and find out about somebody's weekend. Uh, do you have to intentionally kind of find out those things that you could make into a dream program? Yeah, we either would ask or people would listen and make notes, you know, and I think if you have a culture, one of our core values is um, uh, embrace relationships. And if you have a culture where you start meeting and you say, what was a high or what was a low or people talk about their goals and they mention stuff, people kind of take notes and they notice and they'll say something to someone or they'll reach out and they'll, you know, they'll say, hey, Susie was talking about, you know, like, you know, low, low highlight was her cousin this weekend because she never gets to see her uh, or, or, or something like that. So it's a little bit of a combination of both. Now, I know that you have a podcast of your own as well that uh, is ranked very high. Tell us about your podcast, uh, um, you know, who's, who's on the show and, and uh, kind of what is the content you're, you're talking about there? Yeah, I mean, it's really focused on uh, capacity building and uh, half the guests are sort of current or former CEOs or leaders and others are just kind of super experts on a topic where I think leaders are, are looking to improve. So I, I, I would say it's a little bit of kind of how I built this meets uh, Tim Ferriss uh, if they had a little, you know, much smaller and less successful child. Um, so <laughs> I've been doing that for a while, you know, and, and, and I think why it's been successful and had some longevity, I've seen a lot of people start podcasts for the wrong reasons. Um, two books ago, I went on a podcast tour. And for my last book, when I went around uh, those podcasts, and there were some big names, like half of them weren't doing it anymore. And I think they thought they'd just launch it and quickly it would be successful and it would help their business. Um, and, and like anything, and you know, that's like, you actually have to do it for a long time and you actually have to add value to other people. And that's what makes people interested. So my goal for that is just to have these conversations with people, you know, that one hour I'm going to spend with this person where I may never have that opportunity again and want to make it as valuable for myself and, and other people. And lots of good personal and business things have come out of my podcast, but, but that's been the secondary impact and not, not, I think if I tried to make that happen, then, then I, I wouldn't have built up a loyal audience. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I've said it a million times on this podcast, but, you know, every time I do one of these interviews, you know, I learn something new, and it's just, um, you know, every time. 
And so, you know, yeah. for you personally, you learn something, but also if you learn something, there's, there's probably a good chance someone listening will learn something as well. So it's, uh, it, it is a great way to share ideas and uh, continue that, uh, that learning and growth. Similar if you write or do some thought leadership, like people are like, what should I write? And it's like, write something that you're really excited about or that creates a lot of value for people who might be interested. Stop worrying about how you're going to monetize it or what you're going to get out of it. It just, it, it, it's just, that just never works. Yeah. I totally agree that you have to do things for the right reason. And if it's, uh, if it's not the right reason, it's like digging a ditch. So yeah, when you, you know, you've written seven books and that's quite a feat, uh, you're busy, you know, building your business and running the business and so on. So, uh, what kind of a writer are you? Are you somebody that says, okay, it's time to write a book and you sit down and you, you grind it out or do you just do it when, when, when something inspires you? What, what, what's your MO for, uh, writing? No, I, I don't, it's funny. I've, I've heard people interview on this. I don't have a specific one. Some books I've worked on for years. Uh, some books I sit down and pump out chapters at a time. I tend to get in writing zones and in not writing zones. And, and, um, I, look, I'm able to write pretty fast. I have a phenomenal editor I work with. At this point, I'm trying to space the things out anymore. If you, I, I could write and launch a book every year. Maybe no one would want to read it. But but the process of launching a book is so much energy. It's so much more work than writing the book, at least for me, that I, I've intentionally trying to create some some space. Uh, even though like I have three books I could launch next year. One I wrote three years ago. One I just finished, and one I think I could sit down in two months and, and, and write it if because I have all the pieces in the research, but uh, the reality of birthing those all into the world means that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so I'm thinking about different approaches with each one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. So explain a little bit, uh, again, you talk about this in the book where, you know, you as CEO of this company, um, uh, the company you're with now, uh, you've grown it from scratch. It's grown incredibly fast, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, skyrocketed, so to speak. And, you know, things are going along great. And then your, your number two guy uh, has just really done well and re really performed well. And kind of, you know, when everything was going perfectly, uh, you know, you stepped aside and, and made room for him to be the CEO and you became the chairman. So uh, why did you do that and why did you think you needed to do that? Yeah, so, and I've, I've written a little bit about this too um, and in the book, but as I said before, I think it's incumbent upon everyone to constantly revisit what what is needed and what do they want to do. And, and those are different lines, right? Sometimes this is done for us. And so if you're going to work at a company and you've never led a company before and it keeps doubling, every time it doubles, you kind of have to learn new skills and reinvent yourself at a leader and say, do I want this job? And I... The answer for me was yes, like from 1 million to 2 million to 4 million to 8 million to 16 million at 32 million and 300 people. And I had a number two who ran the company the whole day. And I was looking at what I had done and the new reality of the role. And the truth is like, I love the R&D department. I like coming up with a new thing, having the new idea. I don't like having a huge team and doing lots of reviews and being in meetings and but that's what the job was more. That job was managing and leading a team. And he had a lot of the executive team. And I shifted new executive team hires to him. And I said, 
kind of like this isn't the role of a CEO uh, anymore, and and I, and and I'm not sure that's the role that I want to do. I think I can continue to do all the things that I'd like to do, but he's kind of really playing that role. And so I went to him and said, "Hey, I I, I want you to be the CEO." Um, and and we worked on a on a two year pretty uh, thoughtful uh, transition, which we completed in 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 2021, and actually. Well, maybe it was a surprise to a little bit of people. It was a little like the ending to Usual Suspects, where if you kind of looked at what we had been doing for the last year, we're like, oh, wait, the entire leadership team reports to Matt now. He's been leading our company calls. <laughs> like we, People are like, what's going to change? And I'm like, we kind of already changed it all in the last year. We just didn't really make it as, as obvious. Yeah, but I, I would also say that it takes a, a person who really does know themselves and understands themselves uh, because, you you know, you had to put a little ego aside there, I would assume, and and uh, open the door for him. And, and you take, uh, not that it's a second seat, but it's a different seat, and not, not everyone's yeah. willing to do that. And I've made, like, a ton of mistakes. Uh, I, I think the one thing on this process that I learned from others and did pretty well was you know, we did a lot of those changes beforehand. And once it was made, I started exiting the room, exiting the conversations, uh, working with people more one-to-one, not in the group. Because again, I didn't have a team. I didn't have any accountability. I realized like, I didn't want anyone looking at me. I didn't want any sort of mom and dad. <laughs> mom said, no, she looked to dad. And so I really made it clear that that he was in charge. And I, I know people like to hang around. And it's really hard to be kicked out of meetings and retreats and offsites and all the stuff. But uh, I come for the dinners and I hang out with the team. But when, when it's time to go over the key objectives and talk about next quarter, like I don't have any of those things and I don't have a team. And so I'm, I, I'm not in that room because I think it's just confusing. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Marissa Mayers, I think that's how you say her name. Uh, She was CEO of Yahoo and came with huge fanfare. And this is the new new type of CEO that's going to do all these wonderful things. But yet you reference in in your book that, uh, you know, you felt that she made some mistakes and kind of gave some wrong messages. So could you just talk about uh, what you you think you saw in that situation? Yeah, so Marissa Meyer uh, came to Yahoo as this heralded superstar from Google. Um, she was one of the early employees. She led a lot of their key products. She had already made a lot of money and was just considered someone who was really bright and a really hard worker. Uh, if you followed the dots, um, too, you and there were a lot of reporters where she clearly uh, liked to highlight her her, her workaholic style and outwork people and and particularly um one of the articles talked about how she would put in 130 hour work weeks i, I could do the math for everyone but i encourage you to do the math <laughs> for yourself on that <laughs> yeah. try, try dividing it by five which won't work so then you have to divide it by seven and in one of those interviews she said the way you do that is that you're really strategic with when you eat and, and your bathroom breaks um and I think we conflate working hard with working smart a lot these days. And this was the era of like the the sleepless uh, CEO. Well, Marissa Meyer acquired 50 companies uh, during her five-year tenure at Google, all of which were pretty much worthless. Um, she had terrible uh, support rate, turnover rate, kind of ended in a scandal. The only reason why Yahoo stock was worth more at the end of her tenure was because they had a minority investment in um, in Alibaba. So 
other than getting a hundred million dollar golden payout, you know, worked like crazy and got her team to work like crazy and opened a, a, a nursery in her office after she had her babies next to her office and then told all the other women at Yahoo not to do what, you know, not to do what she does, but to do what she said, which was not to do that, which just doesn't really work. It's just so embolic for me of like why this sort of workaholic mindset does not ever guarantee results. It guarantees lots of hard work and exhaustion. And I think, again, her, her tenure by any measure was a failure. She has not led again. It wasn't that she didn't work hard. Um, maybe she needed to do one good acquisition and not 50 acquisitions <laughs> during a five-year period uh, and focus on uh, implementing it. But uh, it just highlights, I think, how we need to shift away from particularly remote work, from inputs to outcomes. And I'm heartened to see more leaders today like you know Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and otherwise talking about how much sleep they need and getting eight hours of sleep and not celebrating uh, never leaving the office. I, my guess is that Marissa Meyer has one of these genetic things where she really doesn't need to sleep. Like we had some baby nurses <laughs> when my kids were younger who kind of that's that was their MO. But like when you pull other people on your journey, like you're going to destroy them because that's not most people. And I would actually argue it can't be healthy by any by any metric. No, as you know, we, we all know that not only sleep, but exercise and taking breaks and having, you know, strong relationships and all that is is good for your mental and physical health. And, and um, you know, if you just keep chipping away at that, uh, there's going to be a cost to be paid at some point, for sure. Exactly. And, and I think we've learned that a lot from our millennial and, and uh, Gen Z, you know, uh, uh, employees have, have taught us that, you know, I've said this before, but I think the new currency is flexibility. You know, so it's it's not so much how much money I can make or how hard can I work, but do I have flexibility and I, can I meet the outcomes uh, in a way that, that, that my uh, team benefits from it? But if I do it in a different way, then that should be okay. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I think remote work has forced us. Some, some, this was never a great way to manage, but a lot of leaders – you know, it was like butt in seat. Like I could see the person here. I could see them working. They're productive. That's a horrible measure of success. Like have a scorecard, tell people on your team what success is. Don't like, if someone can get the right outcomes in six hours, great. Like don't like reward the outcome. Don't reward the input. It makes no, look, we know this with salespeople. You don't reward the salesperson with a great uh, commission that makes the most phone calls. <laughs> you reward the salesperson that sells the most. I think we have a hard time orienting to those outcomes in areas that aren't as, as clear cut as sales. Yeah. You know, you also talk about building your A team and uh, the categories in that, you know, you talk about promotion in place and Renaissance people, drive to learn, overperformance over on goals, pull not push, personal grit. So just kind of tell us, uh, you know, what those things mean and, and, and kind of what are, what are you doing when you're developing that A-team? Yeah, I think first there's hiring them. Um, and that was what some of those were. How do, how do you find these people on your team to, to bring in a team who, who sort of build capacity at, at a high rate? Um, and there's a couple sort of tricks I look for. One, again, people who seem to be voracious learners, uh, who are all studying something or learning something or otherwise, 
I like seeing people that are uh, promoted in place that stayed somewhere and that were promoted. We all know what the last 10 years have looked like, and we all know the way you get someone to leave their job is to you know, offer them a promotion and a raise, even if they're undeserving of it. Um, and a lot, so if you're only getting promoted by moving around, that means that the people that don't know you are promoting you, and the people that have worked for you and know you aren't promoting you. Similarly, like if a candidate was pulled versus pushed like are they were, were they pulled into like the good turnover for me is like i was pulled uh into uh i'm not by myself but i you know i some candidate i was pulled into uh if i'm in the interview saying i left that job because my old boss called me and they said they were getting the band together and i want to join the team and then i was there for three years and a couple of people left and they asked me to come work like that's someone that people like and want to uh, work with. Conversely, you know, if someone is 40 years old and they seem to be looking for a job totally outside of their network and they're, recruit they're working with a recruiter they've never worked at before, with before, you got to ask some questions. Like, why does this person seem to be trying to get a job from everyone that doesn't know them? Like, that's a major red flag that I think a lot of people ignore. I, what you'd wanted from the recruiter is I've placed Stacy three times over the last 15 years, and she's one of the best candidates that I have, right? Not like, not, not the opposite, which is no one seems to have any ongoing connection to the person. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Another thing that you talk about too, is that, uh, you're, uh, uh, a believer, I, I think in, in happiness surveys, so to speak, like, you know, asking your people the questions and, and finding out are they being fulfilled and are they being happy and not afraid to ask the question. So tell us a little bit about your theory on that. Yeah, actually, like, it's less about, uh, I think, happiness um, in terms of, like, are you happy? Because that's not as relevant. But are you, in, I, I think engagement's a proxy for happiness. Like, are you enjoying what you're doing? Are you engaged? I don't ever assume that someone who's miserable uh, is doing a good job uh, at their job. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's important to measure. A, a lot of times people use the word happiness. I, I think it's better to think about, again, engagement. Are, are, are they engaged? Are they enjoying their work? What, what, what could you do to make it, make it better? What could it do to make it proved? Like, basic thing is, to, is the assumption that someone who's not having any fun, not enjoying what they're doing and not engaged is probably not going to be a, a, a pretty high performer. And have you seen a difference in that over the, the number of years you've been going? Is it, are people less engaged you think than they used to be or, or, um... I think the last few years post pandemic with all of the supply and demand shocks and moving around and wars and this and otherwise, I, I, generally it seems like people are pretty exhausted the problem is there's no quick fix. There's no easy way out. Changing your job doesn't make it better. <laughs> Sometimes might might make it worse. Just changing for change sake, changing for off a bad team to a good team or a wrong industry to the right industry for you. Like there's good change, but some people just need some time off. They need a sabbatical. They're burnt out. Like the last couple of years have been generally, if I had to summarize from people working much harder for not better results um, so I think there's generally an engagement challenge right now if you were to do a very macroeconomic study. And some of that is not necessarily about the workplace or the fault of the workplace. It's just that's where they spend a lot of their time and they're pretty exhausted and burnt out. 
Well, Bob, in anticipation of what uh, our discussion today, is there anything that I haven't asked you or anything that you want to be sure to get in the program that we haven't discussed yet? Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing is, one of the things I talked a lot about in spiritual capacity is this notion of, of core values and understanding your personal core values. And people are like, great, love that, right? But but the question I get asked a lot in the book is, well, how do I do that? <laughs> um, and we had a specific process that we built out. I built it out for myself because I couldn't figure it out. Then we trained leaders with it. And so when people would ask me, I'm like, look, it's not, it's not that easy. So I, I basically took that and turned that into a course. Um, it's at corevaluescourse.com. It's it's about an hour course. It's not an hour of work. Um, it's not very expensive. And but two thousand people have taken that, and a lot of people have just seen a lot of transformation by starting to get clarity around those values and thinking about, oh, if these are my values, here's the things that I should do and not do, and the decisions I should make and not make. Um, so I think that can be a great resource for people. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So, Bob, usually at this time of the interview, I always ask my uh, guests the same common question. And that question is, in relation to leadership, what is a pearl of wisdom that you could leave us with today? Yeah, so I, I like the notion that uh, great leadership is, is, is really about alignment. And I think thinking about, like, if your thinking is aligned with what you're saying and what you're doing, um, and if it's not, you probably want to make some changes. It's probably not a great idea to be in a position or be somewhere where what you really think is different than what you're saying or what you're saying is different than what you're doing. Yeah. And so what's, uh, what's next for you and your company? Just keep doing what you're doing or you got any, uh, um... yeah, we're, we're, we're continuing to grow again. It's a challenging environment in marketing services, but we're expanding globally. We're getting into influencer marketing. We're kind of building up those next group of, uh, of leaders. So uh, there's always something to, uh, to work on. And what, what is the name of your podcast for those who might want to look it up and tune in? Yeah. The name of my podcast is called the elevate podcast. And all of this stuff is at robertglazer.com, the podcast, the course, et cetera. I also have a, a weekly new newsletter that started as a note to my team called Friday forward that now goes to almost 200,000 people in 150 countries each week. So if you want kind of this, short, succinct leadership or professional development thought or anecdote on Friday, uh, you can sign up for that too. Yeah, that's great. Well, Bob, this has been a real pleasure. It sounds like um, you're doing a lot of great things and I can hear the passion in your voice. And so I think you you believe in what you're doing and, and that's always a bonus. So I appreciate your time today. I know you're a busy person. So thanks for being a guest. And um, I think we, we learned a lot today. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com and that is orange the word.coaching.com and go to the media center and click on podcasts or video gallery you can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com